This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me. It's podcasts for the weird at heart. You're listening to Keep Screaming, a horror podcast from two best friends dissecting horror movies one by one. My name is Ryan Larson. And my name is B-Bass. Every two weeks, we will bring you a brand new episode where we dissect a slasher film from top to bottom. We will look at the movie as a whole, going over the story, the casting, music choices, go kill by kill, and then rank it on how it succeeds as a slasher film. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ScreamingCast or by searching Keep Screaming. You can find me at B not B, that's B-E-E, not B-E-A, and Ryan at Ryan Larson. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Castbox, or online at podpeople.me or keepscreaming.com. This week we are dissecting 2006 Black Christmas, or often referred to as Black Xmas, directed by Glenn Morgan. But first, our pop culture check-in. For new listeners, our pop culture check-in is a chance for you to get to know what we've been watching, reading, and consuming outside of our movies this week, as well as life updates. Um, as all of you are well aware, in the States at least, it's almost Christmas, so... What do you mean in the States? Well, it's, I mean, I guess it's, it's Christmas, Christmas everywhere. everywhere. I, you know what messes me up? Freaking Aaron and his constantly talking about how hot it is in australia okay, the seasons are different but it's still christmas Aaron, i'm sorry okay for everyone in the world it's almost christmas it's just a cold christmas in the <laughs> or states for everyone in the world who celebrates christmas correct yeah hanukkah it's is over holiday season yeah and i don't know much about the other ones i don't either i'm sorry i just know about those two but um since winter solstice we, is the 21st and, uh, yes shortest night for of the, the wiccans um shortest day of the year longest night yeah mm-hmm. um for B and I, who do participate in Christmas, it means that we're very, very busy. Um, and we also live in America, where things get crazy during America. the holiday season. The holiday season. So um, we haven't had a whole lot of time to watch too much. But even with our limited amount of time, I think we've still managed to check into quite a few things. Uh, B and I both watched the kind of uh, interim episode of Chilling Adventures Sabrina which Netflix has announced the new season is April. Uh-huh. And I think I they've already greenlit they seasons greenlit two and three. Three and four. Oh, yeah. Two wow. has been greenlit. So three, three and, and four. four got greenlit. Yeah, so um, I absolutely love that they did this. Yeah. Like, I super enjoy the fact that a show that is... Felt very Pretty Little Liars to me. Yes, actually, I got that feeling too. Yeah. Um, I, I just love the holiday theme. I love that it's a show that's like on a break, but it came back for this like you know, one, one part or episode that helps fill in some gaps between season one and her parts of season, the first part of season one and the second part of season one. Yeah. I think they're calling the one in April season two. Are they? I'm pretty okay. sure. Um, kind of I confusing. guess we'll find out. Sometimes yeah. these shows do weird stuff like that. Like one They'll A, be like, one B. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, all those CW shows do yeah. that. Um, but I mean, I loved it. I thought it was yeah, it was fun. It was super fun, exactly. Like I was it, expecting it to be less canon, mm-hmm. um, and it was super involved with like really. It was just like a next episode with like right where we left off. With yeah, it jumps characters. in pretty quick. Um, um, and you're like, oh, okay. But I thought the little um, 
sort of like spirits that come in mm-hmm. like and end up being sort of the monster of the week was a fun right and that was one of my favorite episodes in the like first season anyways was that bottle episode where they're stuck in the house oh yeah that was great and i saw a lot of people criticize that episode too when i was no, looking I at like reviews more. but i like it too i think people get so used to like netflix shows feeling more like these premier cable shows kind of like um this like is Game a cw show yeah but like people get so i think because of shows like narcos or um even like the the marvel shows yeah. or like these netflix shows that have become very popular that mm. people look forward to they get used to this like kind of premiere format so when you have an episode like a bottle episode that's just a monster of the week episode it throws people off because like this this isn't really doing anything to further along my plot line and it's like well that's not the point like yeah watch supernatural sweet. yeah <laughs> you know there's hella bottle or like monster yeah. of the week episodes and like because well, you get bogged down like i get way too bogged down by um like the overarching mm-hmm. like drama yeah for uh, shows like this and to be able to get to know your characters and to get to have like a little bit more fun it's way better like m- riverdale's been dragging this season and the best episode was when they did the bottle episode of like the, the, the throwback yeah mm-hmm. and i'm like oh yeah okay cool i get a break from whatever weird ass shit you're doing yeah that's why i always loved veronica mars because veronica mars was the best at furthering your plot along but the whole episode didn't have to be dedicated to the plot yeah like veronica could always figure out something that went into the overarching plot of the series uh season without she had a case a week yeah like a procedural but um there was always something that like some revelation yeah or or things that she was going through in her personal life that would relate back to the season long story arc Mm -hmm. i mean rob thomas is a master of that he doesn't eye zombie too right and like you said it's how you get to know your characters Mm -hmm. like you you like you learn these little intricacies about these like um ancillary characters that make them so much more lovable and like that's why whenever you talk to someone who watches veronica mars like they have like 10 different favorite characters because yeah. every, you fall in love with so many people. And that's why I do, I mean, I think Riverdale has mostly done a good job at that. I agree mm-hmm. this season is kind of bogging down, but also I think Sabrina's like, I think they finally found their groove. And this episode to me was definitely like a indicator. Cause I definitely felt like our supporting characters were more like defined than they were. Yeah. Like you finally feel like you actually kind of know who Harvey is and you kind of know who the weird sisters are and Yeah. And her friend like her other friends, I can't remember their names right now, but they I thought they both had like good little story arcs and everything too. So definitely check it out. Um it's a lot of fun and it's just cool to have a, you know a winter episode or a Christmas episode of a show that is so distinctly horror feeling. Mm-hmm. Um I also watched Q the Winged Serpent on Shutter. It's uh, it's a movie from the '80s by Larry Cohen, and it's always one that I've seen the poster for a ton of times because it's a very iconic poster. It kind of um, looks like those old like Conan novels, essentially, with like that um, that kind of painted cover, um, and it's this giant, uh, it's this giant winged serpent. I mean, this like dinosaur-like thing. This movie is ridiculous. It's, it's not com- a horror movie. Oh, it's it's. I mean, it's classified as a horror movie. It's absurd. It's. I mean, I guess I can't say that based on this cover, but that poster makes it look like a. It's like a fantasy. Like it's like, it's hmm. what they do is so goofy and funny, and I love it. Like Larry Cohen just presents this plot that basically Quetzalcoatl, who is the that's why it's called Q the Winged Serpent. Quetzalcoatl, who's the Aztec god of death, is. Uh, reborn in modern day at the time 1980s new york in the top of the chrysler building and they find they find it and he's like murdering people and like basically you find out that 
there is like this guy running around dressed as a jaguar who is sacrificing people to him um it is a hundred percent absurd it has harryhausen like effects in an 80s movie but it's one of those like one of those like late 80s movies where like new york feels like a character like the city's constantly bustling it's always showing like these panning shots of the streets uh i just i loved it it was very charming uh michael moriarty's in it and he just is he was given free reign to just go crazy with his role and he completely like wraps wraps you up in it um definitely check it out if you're like in i mean for a completionist i think it's it's necessary but if you kind of like dig on those like pulpy movies where um like it's it's i don't know i kind of love those things where it's just so absurd to have like and play it so straight-faced it's just like hey there's this wing serpent in new york and like everyone's playing it straight like it's not it's not a joke or anything um and i just had a lot of fun with it i also checked out bad times at el royale uh thanks to some internet friends of mine i was able to see a copy of it without having to spend 15 dollars on our itunes i really hate that they release movies to buy before you rent now um it's just kind of like, I hate seeing something go January up on January 1st, VOD. Yeah, and I just hate seeing something, and I get really excited, because I'm like, yeah, and then I'm like, oh, I have to spend $15. Like, it makes me miss movie stores. Mm-hmm. Um, but Bad Times at El Royale is Drew Goddard. Uh, he did Cloverfield. He did, he worked with Joss on um, Cabin in the Woods, and he was a large, like, heavily involved in the, um, the first season of Daredevil, so I was very excited about it. He wrote and directed it. Needless to say, did not disappoint um this is another one when i read reviews like a lot of people complain about its runtime it is two hours and 20 minutes so it's it's long Um, how much of that two hours and 20 minutes is chris hemsworth shirtless like at least 40 minutes well all right yeah um and he definitely does like a sexy dance while listening to like 60s music and drinking whiskey straight from the bottle i mean i've seen the trailer yeah um i loved it it's it it's very smart um I mean, every performance in it was fantastic. I mean, it's John Ham, yeah, John Ham, Chris Hemsworth, uh, Jeff Bridges, um, what's her name, Dakota Johnson, um, and then I'm forgetting one of the actresses' names. She was killer in it. She doesn't. She's mostly a singer. She doesn't do a lot of um, acting, but she's done like a lot of theater. Um, it's very much like you know, it's one of those movies. What's her name? Cynthia Arrivo, but it's the whole plot is basically kind of like these strangers end up at a hotel and their lives end up interconnecting and these their lives and their secrets that they're holding kind of end up interconnecting in like these very strange ways where things start going bad real fast uh but i just completely fell in love with the soundtrack's amazing the aesthetic is uh visually stunning it was great uh, definitely definitely worth checking out um like i said it is two hours and 20 minutes so it's a little long but I thought That's a three-nighter. <laughs> I thought it was worth it. The pacing is pretty good. So yeah, you, so you, it's not like they're like, oh, God. It feels like Tarantino, like where he breaks into the segments because you'll like follow one character, then you follow another character, and you'll see something from like the first character's timeline uh, happening in the background or in the... You so know. you like start making the connections. Yeah, okay, you're making so the connections. Yeah. Um, and then I spent a lot of time reading. I've just been trying to get through the Harry Potter books before the end of the new year. It's, I'm not going to get through all of them, but I'm about halfway through the fifth one right now. Um, I mean, I just completely love these books and I fall in love with them more every time I read them. I always wonder, like, am I ever going to back, going to go back and read it and be like, oh, this, like, 
you know, this isn't as good as I remember. Like, it doesn't like keep me as interested as I as I as it used to. But never happens. I just fall in love with it more every single time. Um, like even with reading this, and then our friend Gina does um, her birthday party is Harry Potter themed. And like, so I completely got back on Pottermore and was like reading all backstories on there and stuff, which is a lot of fun. And then uh, the new Hellboy movie trailer dropped today. So when you're listening to this, um, and today is the 19th of December, uh, they dropped it a day early because some asshole leaked it online. So they just decided to drop it anyways. But uh, Neil Marshall, who did The Descent and Dog Soldiers, which are both excellent horror movies, is doing the new Hellboy with David Harbour from Neef, uh, Neefful Things, Stranger Things, um, and he plays Hop. And I'm super, super excited about it. Hellboy's one of my favorite characters. So uh, during Black Friday, Dark Horse was selling the digital copies of the Omnibus, which is every issue, um, for like 12 bucks a piece. And there's three of them, so I bought all three. Um, so I've just been trying to power through those and kind of reconnect with that world. And that's another one. If you've never read Hellboy, uh, Mike Mignola created it um, back in like the 90s. Uh, it's so fun and fantastic. And I just completely fall in love with that world too because it's all this like super dark, like weird ancient folklore. And you can look all of it up and it's all real, but it's like really, really old, like completely like and just from all over the world. Um, definitely does like a lot of the things that like part of the reason I love the supernatural show just touches on all these like myths and uh, legends from not just like America or like around America, but just places like, you know, Bucharest and Romania and crazy, like, you know, there's stuff in Mexico and Australia. So definitely check those out too. If you can, um, they're probably in my top 10, like favorite runs of comics. Um, but yeah, just lots of reading, slip those movies in. Um, and then it looks like B is continuing her Twilight Saga. Oh, I finished. Oh, okay. Yeah. You you were on the last movie last time we talked, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. No, I finished them in like two days. Once yeah. I watched the first one, I was like, well, I mean, I got to watch the rest of them. And then I got the bug. And then my husband actually ended up watching the last two, like breaking both Breaking Downs with me. I think he watched, ended up watching most of them with me. Um, yeah, so it was really nice to revisit. I haven't... I actually haven't seen the Breaking Dawns, which are the third and fourth ones since they came, um, out. Since they came out in theaters. Um, I've seen the first Twilight quite a few times. It's like the only it's the only one I own. And then I know I've seen New Moon a few times. And I don't know if I've seen Eclipse more than once, maybe. But um, I've definitely seen the first three like a couple times. A piece. Yeah, but I haven't revisited it all as a series and watch it like back to back pretty much since it came out. So it was really nice to do that and. It felt, like, nostalgic in a lot of ways. Like, especially, like, the music really took me back to, like, when I was, like, when it came out when I was younger. And that's always, like, nostalgia is a nice, sometimes. Yes. But this nostalgia was a nice yeah. feeling. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I think they hold up well as, like, a fantasy series. And I think New Moon and Eclipse are definitely, like, standouts. They really found their footing. The freaking... CGI wolves are spectacular. Like, just as, like, a werewolf fan, it's so cool to see them. Um, and they do a good job with... It's just fun. Yeah, like it's Like, watching easy, this series... It's yeah, mm-hmm. it's just fun. And they're silly, cheesy, goofy parts, but, I mean, it's a love triangle with, like, vampires and werewolves. So yeah. I think you just have to go in knowing that. And I think... 
there it's it's very melodramatic sometimes but like there's also i love when the vampires play baseball like that it, yeah it's so dorky but like that's no there's the so I many love. things that are like super dorky about it but it's I mean, just as a character is just like yeah. a dork the whole time but it's just fun and it's nice to see um you know sort of these supernatural characters in a different more teen drama based environment than a horror environment yeah uh, um yeah, yeah, yeah. So, because I love the lore of both, um, and so I find that, you know, I find that fascinating. And normally we only get it in TV, uh, and so it's fun to have it, like, as a movie. Yeah, and big props to Film Twitter yesterday for oh, just yeah. that article about how Twilight's the worst movie. And, like, I know a lot of people really do shit on the Twilight movies a lot, yeah. um, but I love seeing all these film critics come out. They're like, dude, no, no. not even close. These are like, all these movies I've seen that are way worse yeah, than Twilight. Yeah, they were just, like, defending Twilight. Yeah. And I loved seeing these, like, very well-regarded critics yeah. come out, and they're like, hey, we don't love these movies, but you're hella wrong. Yeah. (laughs) That was great. No, and it's true. I think the biggest issue that people um, come back to, especially if they were involved in, like, film, the film world back then, or um, maybe were, like, not the age, quite the age group, a little bit too old for Twilight, it was just the thing to be, like, it's the worst. It's lame. It's stupid. It's dumb. Um and to me, like, that article that got posted and when people still 10 years later, like, talk down about Twilight, it seems more to me as a rejection of its popularity yep. and a rejection of the fact that it was a worldwide phenomenon mm-hmm. that people, it was became a household name all around the world within, like, it just a fire sparked um, and the fandom was insane and... You know, that's not Stephanie Meyer's fault. That's not the film's fault. That's not the actor's fault. You'll notice that Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart have yet to ever go back to a big blockbuster movie. Um, I think the Snow White and the Hudsman came out during Breaking Dawn. And that was like her... She did not touch... She doesn't do those movies. Yeah, and Robert Pattinson is like exclusively like indie darling. Like they're not interested in being... And they got thrown into like literal craze and so when people like talk down about the films i'm not going in and saying like yeah twilight the twilight saga is the best things i've ever seen but they're fun Mm -hmm. and they don't i mean the source material is slightly toxic i'm not going to ignore that it is slightly toxic it doesn't promote like the best attitudes when it comes to like dependencies on a significant other um but for the most part these films are harmless (laughs) Yes. They're not promoting anything dangerous. I feel like the films gloss over the that. Films a lot more than the films do a much better do. job than the yeah. books. Uh, it's much better going back. And I don't know, I own the books. I don't think I'll ever go back and reread them. Um, but I, I'll probably continue to go back to the films. I think the films take hmm. uh, a lot of that toxicity and like internal monologue and yep. takes that away. Yeah. And that, it's better for that. 100% agree. Um, yeah. Also, if you are basing your entire like viewing um, history on for uh, Kristen Stewart and Rob Pattinson on these movies, I very much encourage you to explore what they have done after them because 
They are two of the best actors of our generation, and it's yeah. insane. They're really good. The whole cast is actually really oh, good. Oh, super it's likable. It's so yeah. funny. I didn't realize, like, there's a lot of people, like, Bryce Dallas Howard mm-hmm. um, is in it, and, and then uh, who, Rami Malik's in it, and Breaking Dawn. And then the, the people who play, I mean, Dakota Fanning's in it. Yeah. Um, Dak- she's I love amazing. her. She's and an incredible actress. The people who play his parents are both very, like, well-noted actors, too, and I can't mm-hmm. remember their name. Is Carla Gugino one of them? No. No, it's the other girl who's in She's, Haunting of Hill House, though. Is, I don't think so. Yeah, I'm pretty well, sure. Well, I don't know. I don't watch Haunting of Hill House. Anywho, um, Twilight Saga, if you if you haven't revisited it in a while, it's uh, it's fun. Um, and then I watch a couple Christmas things. I watch The Silent Night. Um, I mean, it's not a remake, but whatever. Like reimagining. The reimagining, the idea of Silent Night, which is completely different than Silent Night, Deadly Night. Um, There's scarce similarities. Um, Like if you didn't, if you didn't know that they was supposed to be a loose remake, you would never make that association. Um, And just, just have to say I was right. It is. She was in Haunting of Hill House. Her name is Elizabeth Reeser. Oh. Um, she was in Ouija and Haunting of the Lost. Fantastic actress. Um, she's also in, was in Grey's Anatomy. Yep. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just as mean and oh, yeah. violent and, like, torture porn as I remember. That movie is violent as um, fuck. And very in tune to the film we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it just fits in with what um, horror was from, like, 2005 to... 2012. It, I thought this, I always this thought this one feels late. late. It does. Yeah. Um, Jamie King is in it. We're both big fans of yeah. her because, I mean, she was in Heart of Dixie, which we both love. She's also in My Bloody Valentine 3D. Yeah, My Bloody Valentine 3D. She shows up in the most Sin City movies, so she's great. Uh, Donald Logue is in it, who I also love. He's from Grounded for Life. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I remember when this came out because it feels so in tune with like sorority row and with black Xmas, like that it feels mean spirit. It feels a little late. Yeah, so I I think it I would bet money I got shelved if we were to look into it. Yeah. Um because it does feel very late. But I this movie gets a lot of shit too and I think it's because a lot of people do that thing where they compare it to the original too much and they're like, Oh, it just like takes everything from the original and it's like so mean. First of all, the original's hella mean too. Um Yeah. Like that movie is I mean, like traumatically mean. Super traumatic. Um but also like it's a complete reimagining. It uses loose framework from the yeah. original, so I don't and the name look at it. To and, help sell it in the horror community, I yeah, guess. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. It's going to tie a lot into like what we're talking about today. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's inter- it's not one that I weirdly own this. I think, I know why I own this. It's because I just, I used to go to like Walmart um, and just look at the new horror that they had and I would just pick the stuff up. Um, and so I picked this one up. And this was a straight to um, like, DVD mm-hmm. Yeah, just went too. straight to yeah. distribution. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, well, it says limited theatrical release, but basically limited usually means like yeah, yeah, showed up in New York and LA, and we weren't New York or LA. Yeah. Um. So that one, I mean, it's not one that I'm going to definitely be like, like I'm not itching to dissect it. I'm, but I mean, it's for a holiday fair, for a mean holiday fair. I mean, it's a good one. Jimmy I King's think it great. would probably double with Black Xmas. Yeah. Really well. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, uh, I watched the Santa Claus, which I'll just say is just great. And that movie's mean too. And, uh, yeah. So it's the second one. They're both mean. It's, it's funny because, um, my husband and and myself, but my husband especially is like a huge Tim Allen fan. I mean, I love Tim Allen. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Buzz Lightyear is like probably one of my favorite animated characters ever. Yeah. Um, Galaxy Quest, huge fan of that movie. One of my top comedies ever. Yep. And grew up. I mean, I grew up with Home Improvement. So yeah, Tim, Home Tim Improvement. Taylor yeah. Was a was a very common character. Um, I just think he's a great Santa Claus because. It's a and it's a fun movie even as an adult. Like it's a '90s Christmas movie, so we definitely grew up with it. But um, going back and watching it as an adult, like you just you just relate so much more to Scott as a character. And I love I've always liked these movies, and I actually really really like the third one um, with Jack Martin Frost. Short. Yeah. It's super good um, and super like fantastical and Christmassy. Where this one's less Christmassy because it takes place mostly in the real world it's not it's before he really goes on to be santa it's I about do. him like it's about believing in santa and it's kind of a family drama oh yeah 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 um, um i really like david crumbles as the elf and um what's his name judge ryan ryan whatever the guy from fast times as the stepdad oh I like yeah both those like characters really dorky yeah but um yeah that's just one of like my go-to christmas movies and i like it because you just find other things to love about it as an adult I don't know. Did we talk about I'm, last episode, Christmas Chronicles? I don't know if we did. Um, we ne- did not. It's a Netflix yeah. original. I'll just touch on it real quick because yeah. I definitely watched it with Kurt Russell, made mm-hmm. by Chris Columbus, the guy who did Home Alone and Gremlins. Gremlins? Yeah. Um, no, not Gremlins. Um, it was fun. It's super fun. Yeah. I, I, I really liked it. Um, I liked it. I liked Kurt Russell as um, Santa Claus. So Dante did Gremlins. I'm sorry. Um, um, Goonies. Uh, I love Kurt Russell as Santa Claus. But the movie itself, like, definitely faltered plot-wise. Oh, there's, like, <laughs> plot holes all over the place. Yeah, I, I didn't really like, care. Oh, okay, it's just fun to watch Kurt Russell. Yeah, I just had fun with Kurt Russell as Santa yeah. Claus, especially his whole, like, Elvis bit. Yeah. So good, and then the very end where Goldie Hawn shows up well, as yeah. Santa Claus was fantastic. The queen. I was just, because it became, after I watched that, and, like, because my friends and I are dorks, um, we decided to argue about who's the best Santa, and, like, that was, it was instantly Tim Allen... There was, like, no thought given to any other Santa. It was, like, Tim Allen Kurt Russell, and that was the argument that was made. So that just brought me back to that. And then I've been reading, too. I'm actually also reading Harry Potter, um, but I'm going to go through it much slower. I'm not trying to get through it like Ryan. Um, I'm in the first one. I'm, like, six chapters in, um, and it's great. I did finish um, Neil Gaiman's Ocean at the End of the Lane, um, which I couldn't get into American Gods, which is probably his most famous piece of work besides Coraline. It's also um, dense. It it's is really dense. dense. And I think in, um, I'll preface this, in fairness to his work, um, the American Gods, which is what was appealing to me, is I got the audiobook and it's a full cast, which is oh. awesome. I love that. But I'm finding myself not loving listening to fantasy books. Because I have a hard time letting my mind really get the imagination part of it. And I keep getting, I'll keep getting lost and being like, wait, what? Why are they in like, they're on a Ferris wheel? Wait, now they're in a room? And like, American Gods is super fantastical. Oh, yeah. And really, they're teleporting all over the place. They're teleporting, and and there's all these different kinds of gods, and it really takes a lot of focus. And so I think perhaps I'll I'll approach it again in like the physical book and not listen to it and see if I can um, connect with it a little bit better. I mean, done like three fourths of it. I always just pick it back up and try, but why force yourself to do something you don't enjoy? So I tried Ocean at the End of the Lane, which I liked. 
uh, pretty much immediately. It's just a fun mm-hmm. fantasy story um, about a man who goes back to um, the street that he used to live on and then um, goes back to a memory that he had forgotten, which you find out why he's forgotten it, um, and sort of the strange family that lives at the end of the lane and this sort of, um, um, like, fairy tale character yep. that he gets involved with. Yeah. And it's just fun. I love um, stories where, like, kids are the – it's a book for adults, but – kids are the protagonists yeah. like i really enjoy that because you're just getting a different more fun perspective yeah and gaming does that a lot i mean Coraline did it he has a book called the graveyard book that did it um i love neil gaiman uh if you i mean I'm a, I'm a huge comic book fan too and he wrote sandman which is for for comic book nerds out That's there like it's the, like the comic yeah. it's it kind of like really sh- sh- like shifted the like appearance of comics the perspective and like made you go like holy shit like we can tell a whole different type of story with this medium um and like the first time i read sammy and i hated it i mean i loved it but i hated it because i was like i'll never write anything this good and i just love everything he does and like b said like all of his stuff feels him and guillermo del toro have this knack at creating these dark fairy tales that i just fall in love with um and this one was definitely one of my favorites i love how short it is like it's brief but it's very like well written and you like get very caught up in like the story and just i I adore this one so good choice if you um i do suggest the graveyard book next if you're looking for something and i loved the film Coraline. Um, and so, I mean, I definitely, that's always been on my list. Oh, you haven't um, read it? Mm-mm. Oh, yeah. And so that'll definitely be one I tackle. So I'm reading Harry Potter, but I'm also going to, like, switch back and forth um, because, I mean, Harry Potter's going to take me a while and I well, don't want to go that long. What's without... nice is you know the material so well, like, you can do that. Oh, yeah. I can, yeah. like, take a break. Um, I started, I'm reading, like, another book, um, one of my, like, mysteries um, so far, I don't think it's going to be a winner. It's called The Good Girl. The Good Girl. Um, we shall see. I'll keep you updated. I'm like halfway through it. Halfway through it. That's <laughs> not a good sign. No, it's fine. I'm interested I'm interested in the mystery for sure. And it like has different narrators. So you go back and forth between the detective that's investigating um, this missing girl. Then you go from the missing girl. Then you go to the parents. And so I enjoy that type of storytelling um, and getting the story, little tidbits of the mystery from different perspectives. I find that really fun. Um, but for whatever reason, I'm just like not getting super connected to it. Um, but it all, these books really depend on how well the twist plays yep. out. Yep. And so we shall see. It's either going to make it or break it. <laughs> So yeah, we'll move on now to um, we co- so we covered Black Christmas last episode. So if you haven't listened um, and you want to, because we'll be referring to that a lot, I'm sure you can go back and find that everywhere. Um, but Black Christmas was the last one we covered, which ended up extremely high on our list. Um, I'll look it up right now, but I know it's in like the top three. I think it's number three. Uh, I think it's two. Yeah, it's number two. Um, so very, very, very high on the list. And so now we are covering Black. 
it's it's still called Black Christmas. It's very much referred to and colloquially known as Black Xmas. And that's what I always refer to it as because it's less confusing, and then I don't have to say 2006. Yep. Um, and I think <laughs> it's, it's even remake. marketed that way a lot of times. Like there's an X like scrawled out over on the, the poster. It's Xmas, but whenever it's like written out, it's Black Christmas, and it's funny. It's getting talked about a lot right now, obviously because it's um, December. Um, but everybody writes it out as Black Christmas. And I'm like, no, call it Black Xmas. So let's start a petition. Yes. Just call it Black Xmas. 100% agree. And with then that. we know. Um, so the synopsis on Escape Maniac returns to his childhood home on Christmas Eve, which is now a sorority house, and begins to murder the sorority sisters one by one. As you can tell, very close to the original premise, except the original did not have anyone returning to their childhood home. Um, it was completely kind of shrouded in mystery why this killer was doing anything at all. This takes more of the classic slasher trope of returning to your home or your hometown um, and plays way more into the family yes. um, stories, which is what um, Black Christmas lacks of being a proto is that um, all of these tropes haven't really been established where this one is just like full-blown, okay, we've got the family element, we've got the return to home element, like it, we have get the backstory on our killer and why they're doing it. If the first one was like, you know nothing about the killer, this one was like, you, you know, know everything. everything. Yeah. Yeah, like literally from birth, yeah. you know everything about your killer. Which I will play in, like I have, like I did a ton of research and like was pretty fascinated because uh, Glenn Morgan, the director, um, the, this movie like was a big headache for him and uh there's a lot of we'll we'll talk about it again we've had to bring this up with the burning but the weinsteins were heavily involved in this film and it exists the way it does because of them and their interference and it's kind of makes it a little bit icky um and certain things um which i'll talk about as we get into that um so it makes this movie slightly less um enjoyable when you have that lens behind it but um the director glenn morgan was actually good friends with bob clark and when he bob clark and him talked about it um he had full permission to do the film from bob and actually bob was excited because he wanted to do a sequel Mm -hmm. where he explored billy's um background and so he actually came on as an exact so he is an ep on this movie um with full knowledge that they were gonna dive deep kind of a la halloween 2 where you actually start getting some of your backstory to the killer um what ended up happening um we'll go into as we go through the plot and our kills um i'll, I'll discuss that but with the backstory, which a lot of people were like, oh my god, that like ruined the film. Just know that the creator of the original like was on board for that. He wanted it. Um, and I like, and I mean, B has it listed here too, and I thought it was a fun nod, was they do refer to the sanitarium as the Clark Sanitarium. And yeah. I caught that this time Yeah, around. in honor of Bob. So, um, released Christmas Day 2006, which like Silent Night, Deadly Night, came with a ton of controversy. Um... A bunch of religious groups came out and said, um, you know, it's one thing to release a movie like this in December. It's another thing to actually do it on Christmas Day. Um, and basically, like, um, Dimension was like, fuck you. Like, they weren't worried about it at all. And they're like, um, it's very common for movies like this to come out um, to sort of 
even out the good jolly holiday fare we get. It's a December's a popular release time for horror movies. We're not yep. doing anything different. Yep. Um, and so they were kind of like stood their ground. Um, it didn't do well. It was uh, a critical and financial failure. Uh, cost nine million to make. It was completely filmed in Canada for like twenty nine days. And it made $21 million at the box office. And guessing by some of the things I looked up about their marketing, they didn't even make their money back on this. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, so... There's no way. I, I'm sure we've mentioned it before, but... Um, oh, yeah, the algorithm, the trick. Yeah, so usually when a budget says... Whatever the budget is, you have to double it because they don't include their marketing most of the time in the budget. That's kind of like an extracurricular like part of it. So usually... Most of the time. It's like the rule of thumb. Yeah, a film you, spends yeah, its budget on its advertising. Marketing. So you take a budget, you double it. That's what they actually spend on the movie. So when you look at something, you're like, oh, $9 million and they made 21 That's pretty good. You're going, no, it's $18 million and they made 21 Maybe. Like, yeah. so they maybe made $3 million And then, like you said, from the research, they probably broke even or were in the hole. Um, that's why it's always terrifying to me when I see movies released like Mortal Engines that just came out and that movie cost $100 million oh, on no the way. budget. And I, I look at that movie and I'm like, $200 million? There's no way it's making its no. money back. Um, and even like it blows, it's what makes movies like Avengers that more stunning when you're like $250 million budget, so $500 million movie, and then it makes over a billion dollars. So it's actually profitable somehow. But yeah, so no, this movie made no money. Yeah. Um, tanked financially. Did not do well with the critics. 14% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, gratuitous remake of the 1974 slasher black christmas pumps out uh gore and blood with zero creativity humor visual flair wow i disagree with a lot yeah that's that's the consensus that's sort of like what they found that most people said um then i pulled some couple nicer things that i think ryan and i agree with a little bit more fangoria um ken hanley said the film benefits from solid and focused direction and this is what i definitely agree with that it wears its cringeworthy elements as a badge of honor mm-hmm. instead of being like oh yeah we did these um and then a film scholar i thought this was interesting because um, i always like to look at things from more of a feminist point of view or from a different perspective um jessica robinson praised the film's depiction of the female characters saying the sorority sisters and black christmas are set up to be ideal females they are our typical final girls they all have long hair they're concerned with how they look they sit on the couch and file their nail nails however unlike stereotypical females they also drink cuss and talk badly about their families mm-hmm. um so although they may look like our ideal um good girl that is depicted as the final girl in a lot of slashers um they're you know fleshing them out as these are just regular girls that yeah, happen they're to be hot yeah yeah um <laughs> like you can care about your looks and also be uh drink and cuss and have sex yep. and it, that's okay <laughs> yeah and i mean i'll do a little plug here even i wrote a piece like You'll know how I feel about the movie. I wrote a piece on it last year for my website, Ghastly Grinning, about how this movie, like, you need to go back and watch it and look at it because it's another, to me, another Christmas classic slasher. So, um, I love this poster. I mean, I think it's absurd and it looks messy, but Uh I, I just love, like, how in theme it is. Yeah, uh, I don't love it. So, um, so the poster is Katie Cassidy. She's on the ground. She's um, beaten. And, is that like, Katie Cassidy? It looks like her. Uh, yeah. I think that's nobody. 
Oh, I, I always thought it was Katie Cassidy. No, I um, think that's uh, nobody. Then it's nobody. Beaten on the ground, um, tied up in Christmas lights with just like a little greeting card that says Black Xmas and the mm. X is made with blood. Uh, yeah, like as a tag, as like she is the gift. Yes. Um, and then we have like written in handwriting um, scrawl, very House of Waxy. Um, this holiday season, the sleigh ride begins. I hate that tagline. Oh, the tagline's so bad. much. Oh my goodness. There's no sleigh riding in this movie. This, oh, uh, yeah. There is in the sleighing. original. Yeah. I mean, that would have been appropriate for, yeah. or, uh, I mean, not the original, but for Silent Night, Deadly Night. That yeah. would have been an appropriate one for that. Yes. But, but uh, they're slaying, like killing, which is what they're yeah, it's a play, on, play words. on word, but it's bad. It's lazy. It makes me mad. Um, it's okay. The poster's fine. It's very, I mean, it's very in tune with the design trends of the time. Yeah. Um, I'm actually surprised that the girls aren't featured more on the cover. Yeah, they were all very Um, popular up-and-coming actresses. Yeah, and usually you use that to sell the film. Um, And so I'm slightly surprised they don't make um, it more obvious who this is, if it's supposed to be Katie Cassidy. Um, I don't think so. Um, Yeah, it's it's fine. It's, yeah. I've just always liked it because it, like, to me, this 100% shows you what you're getting into. It does. Like, so, this movie shows, like, this is going to be dirty, and it's going yeah. to be mean, and it's going to be violent. Yeah, you don't go into this, like, you know, this is definitely showing you, like, this is, like, the Silent Night movie. This is, you know, this is an aughts remake that's gory and yeah. tortury and and yeah. really kicks you. Uh, no sequels. Same story for the black christmas that we mentioned um our last episode is that after the failure of this film bob clark wanted to do his actual direct sequel um and unfortunately he passed away shortly after this movie premiered um shirley walker um just as like one of the most exciting things i discovered um did the score um this was her final score before her death um she worked um with Glenn Morgan and his partner, um, James Wong, they're responsible for Final Destination and Willard. Um, and so she's worked with them. Um, she did Final Destination 1 through 3. She worked with John Carpenter on Escape from L.A. Um, she did some big um, action True stuff. Lies. She did True Lies. She did Ghoulies. That's a lot of good movies. Yeah. Um, she was one of the few female score composers working in Hollywood. And she was um, the first female composer to earn a solo score credit on a major Hollywood motion picture. Um, preceded only by Suzanne Ciani, who wrote the complete score to The Incredible Shrinking Woman in 1980. Um, and according to the Los Angeles Times, like when she passed away, I mean, she was just a pioneer for women in the film industry. Um, so that was really cool. Um, I didn't know about her, um, specifically and, you know, I love to see that, um, cause it's true. I mean, this will be the first woman that's, um, done the score of a film. We haven't had too many women behind the scenes of any of these that we've Mm -hmm. done, um, besides producing credits, um, and which is great. Um, so I loved seeing this and, um, I really liked the score in this. I loved their use of cell phones. Yep. Um. And their Christmas music. Yeah. Which, so, like the original, was an effective use. Yeah. So using, like, the Sugar Plum Fairy and Jingle Bells as ringtones for specific girls. And it had a very, like, Disturbia feel where you're, 
you're in on it. So I always remembered that scene when I first watched Disturbia, the Shia LaBeouf, like, rear window-inspired film. Um, I was young. It was came out around this time. I was young. Um, I was a huge Shia fan. I had my mom, like, drive me to the theater, to, like, out of town to go see it. And I also loved Rear Window, so I was, like, mm-hmm. extra excited for it because I, like, grew up on Hitchcock. Um, I that movie. And I loved I remember coming out of the theater and telling my mom how cool I thought it was because there's a scene in that film where the the friend character has oh me so horny like as his ringtone and you don't even think about it um but it's definitely made aware that is his ringtone and then later in the film that ringtone popping up becomes like a big part of the plot and clues the the audience into some severe um, suspense because you hear the ringtone and you're like, oh my god, that's the best friend. Why can we hear his me so horny playing? Yep. So I remember coming out and thinking that was such a cool build up. That was such a setup. And as like a young like film fan, I think I was like eleven or twelve. I was like, whoa, like I love that. And it's such a simple thing when you think about it. But I think they kind of did something similar here where. Um, we are often trying to explain away cell phones with storms or service. And and instead, um, they're using the phones. And they use Billy Calling, like, not effective in this movie at all. Um, Really, really falters the phone call specifically. But I think what shines through is when they have sort of these, like, score suspense moments with the cell phones and who's calling. Yeah, and the Christmas, like jingles through cell phone tones are creepy yeah like they're very creepy yeah so especially it was that era like where like it's like 16-bit playing. right like it's just yeah yeah <laughs> i, I agree phones. um but and then in general i mean it was an effective score of not just like things that were appropriate for the time of this movie and like the cell phones and using sort of what they had but also it was a great suspenseful score yep. mm-hmm. um that really helped you you know build and it was the cinematography was dark. It was dark and red and it was like meant to be really dreary mm-hmm. and sadistic. And so having that Christmas music in contrast, especially played on like the freaking flip phone, cell phone style, um, it was great. I agree. Um, the score definitely stood out for me, which a lot of times it doesn't. I know it's one of the things I pay the least amount of attention to. And there were numerous times where not just like you said, like the cell phone stuff, but um there was that part even at the end of the movie in like the hospital where Mm -hmm. i was like i was able to notice like oh the score here is like really effective like it's doing a good job at like building this chase scene and like everything so uh glenn morgan did direct this he did willard which itself was a remake uh starring crispin glover which was a failure but i really like that movie me too uh and crispin glover's a super weirdo and i adore him and then he and i like how he basically plays the same character in charlie's angels Two. Yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, I've always thought that like yeah. he looks so he similar. He plays in that Willard movie too. in Charlie's Angels too. Was He's this before or after Final Destination? I'm wondering if he met what's Final her Destination face on was 2000. Um, he met um, Elizabeth Mary Elizabeth Winston uh, on, on yeah on Final, Final Destination three. three and offered her this role. Okay, he offered her Katie Cassidy's part. And she turned it down, saying that she didn't want to be typecast as the final girl. Um, and so she actually wanted to take on the sort of good girl, like, role in this. Cool. I like it. 
Yeah. Uh, he also, as B mentioned, worked with James Wong with a lot of stuff writing Boys Next Door, which is 85, Trick or Treat, not Trick or Treat, Trick or Treat, a movie from the 80s, 1986, Final Destination um, in 2000, The One in 2001, The One with Jet Li, probably, and Final Destination 3. This movie killed his career, which is a shame. Jamie Blanks, Glenn Morgan, where are you? I'm going to make yes. a documentary one day about these slasher directors who just disappeared, and I need to find them. Yeah, Someone there's like an me. article where he said, because Willard was a f- um, critical and financial failure, um, and he said, you know, they're giving me Black Christmas. If this doesn't do well, I'm done directing. I'm like, my career's over. And, I mean, that it's happened. I don't know. Is he the cinematographer on this? Or did you forget their name? Sorry, we're looking at the notes. Um, the, but cinematographer, the cinematographer worked on all of those things. And also the Harper's Island TV show, which yes. me and I love, and Secret Circle, which was the Kevin Williamson show, and the new Westworld TV show. And Cursed. Um, and Cursed. So, so much good stuff. Just so much good stuff. Uh, this cast is, holy shit, oh my god, everyone Ryan loves from, like, this era. Uh, Katie Cassidy as Kelly Robert Presley. Robert McLaughlin is the cinematographer. Robert McLaughlin. Okay, so Robert McLaughlin, good job. You, um, I are think. awesome. Yeah. Uh, Katie Cassidy as Kelly Presley, who is our final girl. Um, at this point, she was kind of, like, up and coming. She's gone on to see a ton of success in the Arrowverse as Black Canary. She was Laurel, in Gossip or... Girl forever. Yeah, she um, was in Supernatural. Yes. She was in, like, she every original Ruby. Soap. Um, uh, Michelle Trachtenberg, who we, at this time especially, was kind of, like, hot off Buffy. We just know we're from Buffy, I think, at this point, really. Yeah, and Eurotrip. Um, so, as Melissa Kitt, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who I absolutely adore, obviously, coming off of Final Destination 3, um, and has gone on to do many spectacular things. Um, you know, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. She was in that movie Smash, which is excellent. I mean, she's great in everything. She's in Death Proof. Um, Lacey Shebert or Shebray. Shebray. I don't know how to, um, but she's from Mean Girls, obviously. She's Gretchen Wieners. Yeah. And then. Party of Five was where she got her start. It's funny. She, Lacey is a, like, super, um, like, she's really religious and, um, now, like, almost excludes, she's known as, like, sort of the face of Hallmark now. Um, she's in a ton of Hallmark movies, a ton of Christmas movies, and I love. I really loved, I read this article like maybe a year or two back, um, and I loved it because somebody sort of asked her kind of a snide comment, like, well, you had this like booming career and now you're just doing Hallmark movies. And she's like, this is what I want to be doing. She's like, I have a family, like, I love this, like, I'm, you know, I don't know how she words it, but she basically says these movies like share my values, um, and they mean a lot to me and I love doing them and like, hell yeah, like, amen to that. And like... You should not be judged for the type of, like, career moves that you make. You should be working in the field that you want to be working in. And if that's in, you know, made-for-TV movies and that makes you happy, then that's what you should be doing. She's the only person in this movie that did not have some sort of horror background. And I don't think she ever did another horror movie. Interesting. She's also the voice of Eliza on the Wild Warriors. Uh, Fun fact. Kristen Cloak as Leigh Colvin... Um, and then Canadian actress who's in a lot of horror stuff and oh my god does she I mean I don't know if she tried but her Canadian accent is so strong 
I just kept slipping out. And I'm like, I don't know if she's trying to hide it, but I, I hope she, she knows was. that yeah. it's so Canadian. Um, we get uh, Oliver Hudson, who is Kate Hudson's brother, who B and I, um, I mean, he was in Christmas Chronicles. So, and so he's... Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn's child. Yes, Kurt Russell and yes. Goldie Hawn's child. And he was in Dawson's Creek and he's been in so many Scream Queens, you'll yeah. probably know him from, which is actually really funny because... Like, a lot of things of Scream Queens kind of play into this film. Did you notice, too, he had, like, a weird kind of lisp in this? Mm. Like, some sort of weird thing with his voice. And I was like, I don't think his voice normally sounds like that. Um, and then who is our character carried over from the original movie? Uh, Andrea Martin uh, yeah. um, plays Mrs. Mack. Who is the um, house mother, Yeah, the dead mother who they gave a first name, Barbara, um, after the character Barbara from the original film. Um, and then uh, Dean Friss and Robert Mann play Agnes and Billy Lenz. So um, it's important to know a man does play a female. Yeah, Agnes. and I wanted to talk about that um, because when I was watching it, I was like, all right. And then I looked it up um, and, I mean, Ryan and I are both straight and maybe some of our like queer listeners can let us know like what they think about this. But I don't love that they cast a man. He's like a camera assistant. Um, and they cast a man as Agnes who was born a woman and there's no plot point to say that that yeah. changed or that this was supposed to be a trans character. Yeah. If we have any trans um, friends, like maybe tell us how you feel about yeah. it. Cause it's a weird kind of, it's a weird, de- a really weird decision to make. Um, I, I think they just made it to try and keep the like whole, is it Billy? Is it not Billy? Um, kind I think of alert. there's a couple things. Yeah, I think one they want you to think that it is Oliver Hudson's character for a little bit, Kyle. Yeah, because he does the whole thing in the car where he's like, "Well, I'm your family now," which is like a motif with the Lens family. Oh yeah, they they like pound say that, that in this of, movie. Yeah, That's all then, Billy says. And then uh, and yeah, and then there's also like the thing where you're introduced to the character. I think it's uh, yeah, uh, Eve. Yes, yes, Eve, Eve um, is you're they sort of she's in it for two seconds. Yeah, like, she just pops down and they're like, oh, that's the weird girl. And they're yeah. like, yeah, maybe they she's, Agnes. That she's Agnes or something. And then also maybe because I think that I mean, it's shitty to say like, I think they were trying to make her ugly like and so give mm-hmm. her like the like these kind of like very male figure like characteristics on a female character because like they were trying to really push like, oh, she's born of incest and Mm -hmm. she is like no they were um but that still doesn't really excuse that decision um yeah i thought it was super super weird yeah Um, i don't i don't like it every time i see it like i like i almost forget and have to remind myself because i i mean i just watch a lot of movies too so sometimes plot lines get mixed up and while i was watching it i had to look up again i was like i'm pretty sure that's a man and i was like yeah it is and i think that's super weird so yeah i'd be interested to hear i mean even our non- um, gay friends, just let us know if that's something that you think is strange um, and like slightly inappropriate um, because we feel a little yeah about yeah, it. Definitely, um, no, no reason to do it. So. Um, it is a holiday slasher, um, like its genre and subgenre. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a whodunit, a millennium remake, and a holiday slasher. So all three of those things. Um, the whodunit, I think, plays backseat. It's it's a couple red herrings red herrings here and there but if you've seen the original at all you pretty much know where where it's loosely going to end up and then also um I but mean, even the original was supposed to sort of be like a whodunit there's a mystery behind it yeah this one not so much really i mean this one know. you have a little bit of like 
okay. Well, you know it can't all be Billy. Yeah, because he's in the sanitarium yeah. as things are happening. So you're like, okay, is Eve so, this character? Yeah, or, or is, is, it is it the boyfriend? Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's a, a couple child. things here and there. The killers are, we do get a, this is our first movie with two killers? Because we haven't covered any screams yet. Um, I mean, they became the notorious two-killer, like, set. Yeah. Uh, I think so. I yeah, don't know. I'm pretty Maybe sure not. it is. I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, I don't know. We'll tweet out and let you know if it Billy actually is. Billy and Agnes. But yeah, Billy and Agnes. brother and sister and father and daughter. daughter. Yeah. There's some gross that's stuff an, in this movie. That's another icky plot point. Yeah. Uh, that plot point's real yucky. Uh-huh. The mom is the worst so yeah i guess that was like one of their defenses of um casting agnes as a man as a dean friss is that um he was having a really hard time with a female voice because i mean just gonna have problems because he has a lower octave and they're like oh like the actress who plays constance the mom has like a raspy voice so it's okay because she has a smoker so they just sort of were like yeah "Yeah, it's okay like it doesn't matter dude that's fine weird weird weird. uh iconic weapons there's a lot of stuff used but i um b has noted here and i was going to bring it up too the plastic bag is used a lot Almost um, every kill. Yeah. It, like something with the plastic bag, which we talked about really loving the last film. Mm-hmm. And I still really like oh, it. Oh, I this. do too. I think it's effective. Yeah. I think it's brutal. I think it's so violent. It's and like Which this is probably one why they're like, yeah, we're going to use that bag a lot. Remember yeah. how we were saying like, ooh, yeah, suffocation. This one does that a lot of crazy. like, like, like literally like, you know, seconds of them gasping for air mm-hmm. with the bag sucking in. And mm-hmm. I'm like, it's yeah. rough. It's, it is rough. Um, it's a violent I mean, the movie. movie starts with that plastic bag kill. I love that misdirect too, like up the, in the closet and yeah. everything. Um, so really good. And then they use a spear um, a bunch too, which is from the original as well. Yeah. And in many forms, both the unicorn, they have an ornament that spear like, uh, Pokers, like chimney pokers, all sorts of stuff. Lots of spear stuff. Lots of spears, lots of eye stuff. Obsessed with eyes, this movie is. Uh, This is a fucking giant body count. Yeah, yeah. So 18, which I believe Halloween was 19? I think it was 18. Um, You should look. So so Agnes is credited with seven. Um, We have one kill that we don't know who did it. It could have been Billy or Agnes. I think it was probably Billy. Um, so Agnes at seven for sure. Billy at six kills for sure. We've got our final girl, Kelly, with two kills. Um, Constance, um, the mother of Billy and Agnes with one kill. Um, and, and we have one accidental kill in this. Yeah, which is pretty much caused because of Billy. Um, so the one kill that we have, um, there's a decapitation that happens outside and off screen. Um, so my guess will be that would bring Billy to seven and Agnes to seven, which would make them tied, which would make sense to me as well. You know, it's in our notes. Oh, well, I went too far and now I'm just looking at Halloween comics and books and their oh, kill counts. Person. Okay. There are 18. If With you count Michael. Michael. So, so this is so our this highest kill count yeah. ever. Um, Wow. Yeah, so Agnes and Billy are mean motherfuckers. Yeah. Who's Kelly, the mom? No, Kelly's our final girl. Oh, Jeez. right, right. Yeah, okay. And then uh, Constance is the mom. Constance is the mom. Okay, okay, okay. Um, yeah, this movie really just kicks off 
right into it. So I watched the Kill Count, um, which is a YouTube um, channel where this guy goes through um, horror movies. And it's a very resourceful tool for us. Yeah. But thank you for that. Yeah, he goes through and, like, makes jokes and kind of goes over the plot similar to how we go through here. He goes kill by kill. And he did an average. And uh, somebody dies on average every five minutes. Holy shit. So it's not... That does not, not surprise me. It's not fucking around. And... I like it. The first kill is the character of Claire, which is the same as the original. Pretty much nothing else matches up. But this is like Claire is the first character to die in both of these. So Claire is getting ready to see her sister Lee, who she is not close to at all. She's in her room. She's like uh, packing up her Christmas present. And we get like the allusion to the original film where she like checks the closet because she hears something in there. And then we see Agnes under her bed. And suddenly um, her like uh, scissors have gone missing. And I think you're gonna have like a pet cemetery moment. Yeah, little, oh god, action from under the bed. Shit happens. <laughs> uh, but Agnes suffocates her and stabs her in the head. There is a real obsession with ripping out eyeballs in this movie. Uh-huh. That became a uh, big motif for uh-huh. them as well. Don't know why they decided eyeballs. It's disgusting. It's so gross. The visual effects for it are fucking gnarly and like there i have a pretty strong stomach thanks to horror movies mostly Mm. um but there are certain things that get me like you can cut someone's stomach open and i can see like fake intestines come out all day long like they just don't bug me very much but eyeballs like i just they're so gross i think like ugh, and uh, they get like really brutal with the actual like the the like motion of like two fingers digging into the like your socket and pull it's disgusting um so Claire dies, like, right off the bat. And then we're pretty much introduced to all of our other, like, characters that are there. Very similar to the original Black Christmas. Um, we're, you know, whittled down to a pretty small crew. Most of the people have already left for the holidays. So we're down to a couple people who are still waiting to leave or are either stuck there staying through the holiday. Um, that's when we meet uh, Melissa. That's Melissa, uh, Michelle Trachtenberg. Heather. That's Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Uh, Dana. That's Lacey Shabert, or however you pronounce her name. Sorry. Um, we meet the Mrs. Mack. Um, and then... Uh, Lauren, I think, is our last girl in the house. Um, and Eve, who barely exists as a character. But Lauren, uh, played by Crystal Lowe. They're all drinking. Um, they're getting ready for their secret exchange. We're very, very quickly introduced to the idea of Billy. And, like, this is a town legend. Like, everyone knows about him. He is a real person. They still leave a present for him under the Christmas tree. It's 15 years tradition. Um, and then, very much unlike the original movie, we are introduced into this backstory of Billy. Like, it's told from different perspectives throughout the movie. Like, Mrs. Mack tells it for a while. The security guard in the sanitarium tells part of it. Um, Oliver Hudson's character, uh, Kyle, tells part of the story. So it's kind of back and forth. Yeah. But, um we are introduced to the sanitarium where we meet Billy and the security guard is telling like a visiting Santa the story of how Billy came to be. Essentially, he's a child born with a rare disease that turned him yellow. So it's like it's a liver disease made his skin like jaundice and his mother disowns him pretty much. And he kind of has to like live in the basement or he lives in the attic. And because of that, he like travels through his house by traveling through the walls. It's all very creepy. Everything about it is creepy. His mom is awful. They're all bad people. Uh, his dad is the only one who loved him. His mom kills his dad right in front of him, which kind of sets him off on this um, psychotic path. Um, all this weird shit happens. I, I'm not going to bounce back and forth too much on the storytelling. So his whole backstory essentially is his mom kills the dad gets together with the stepdad. The stepdad is pretty much impotent, and she wants another child, so she 
rapes her son, which mm-hmm. is disgusting. Um, and they have their own child, which is Agnes. And Billy becomes pretty much enraged that she loves Agnes more than him. So one night, um, he does like trick them into the. Well, I don't think that's what it's about. She locks him. His so she didn't want Billy because he of his was liver jaundice. Disease. Yeah. Um, and so the only person who was ever nice to him was his father right. and his mom killed him right. and he watched it. Yeah. And then when he found, when she found out that she locked him in the fucking attic. So I don't think it was so much like he was like upset at he his just mom. Hates his mother. Yeah. He hates his mom and is like, no, that's my, that, that's my family now. He sees Agnes and is like, no, like I'm not going to let her do what you did to me. Like she's mine. Yeah, but he rips her fucking eyeball out. He does that to everybody. That's I don't think disgusting. that's any kind of personal vendetta. So he kills his he kills his mother. He kills his stepfather with a poker through the eye, um, and then his stepmom or his mom. Uh, he it's an ornament. Yeah, an or, he gets an ornament, ornament through the eye. This is very Christmas. It's very like, themed. The kills are all the mom. He fucking strangles to death with a string of lice, and then he uses a cookie cutter yeah. to cut her skin up and cook as oh, cookies. After he bludgeons her with the roller, yeah, for the cookies, and he eats her. It's disgusting. He also like eats all of the eyeballs. Ugh. Oh, they save some for decorations it's later. It's so fucking gross. It is so gross. So, anyways. So, um, anyways. The security guard is the next to die. Um, Billy has tricked him into his cell and fashioned a candy cane into a shank, which he kills him with. I like how they let him decorate his freaking cell. With two things I think are with hilarious. Christmas lights. Uh, there is apparently a children's ward in the sanitarium. Yeah, where Santa comes to where visit. Where Santa comes to visit. Are these crazy kids or are these sick kids? Yeah. Um, I would like to know that. I'm assuming they must be crazy kids. Um, and the other thing is I think it's hilarious that they have, like, a mass murderer and they let him decorate for Christmas. Yeah, and the best part is, like, he doesn't even use any of those well, not decorations. Not a mass murderer. I mean, mass, he kills two, so, right? No, one. He just kills his mom. Oh, and his stepdad. Yeah. He tries That's to kill his sister. Though. Yeah, I think anything after two is considered mass murder. Anyways. Anyhow. So he kills the security guard and we know that Billy is on his way home. Because uh, we've got all this backstory. Billy's coming home. But we also know that Agnes exists. So at, um, And that she's in her own like hospital and she's like missing an eye. Yeah, she's and... been never been seen since the initial incident. Um, Megan is our next character who dies, and that is our first character who is killed by Agnes. So Megan is our... Yeah, there's so many girls... Megan is the girl who um, we find out has a sex tape with Kyle. Oh, I forgot about her completely. Yeah. Um, She doesn't ever come out of her room because she's really upset. Because the sex tape leaked online. It's a really stupid plot line as well. This plot Um, line just reeks 2000s -hmm. because sex tapes were like a thing. If you guys like were too young back then... There was, like, Paris Hilton had a sex tape, and the Kim Kardashian sex tape was after this, but around the, around this time. No, it was around this time. Yeah, cause, it was cause like at the time, six or something. You, I mean, if you're too young to remember, by that time, it was a, a bigger deal that Ray J had a sex tape than Kim Kardashian. Oh, for sure. Um, but, so, like, the sex tape thing was, like, very new, and, like, the idea of it was very new. So this whole plot point, but it's so fucking mean. Like, everything about this movie is also, just, like, there's so many sense. ways, like... That she could have fought with that character and yeah. just like not been involved, but the fact that the way is he had sex with this girl and then li- that 
a friend was mad at him and leaked it online. Another thing that makes me mad is like, then she's like, oh my God, who are you? I can't believe you did this. And it's like, what? He had sex with somebody before you and didn't do anything wrong? Well, I mean, yeah, that part's bullshit. I think she, well, she gets like more mad when he's like, the guy stole my tapes. And she's like, tapes? How many are there? And I think she's, I also think she's a little more mad because it seems like they aren't aware that the sex tape exists. Oh, like the girls? Like the women. Like it's a non-consensual Yeah, I mean, there's not enough details there, but it definitely more seems like, oh, let's play this as like sex tapes are bad. You can't have do that in a relationship. But also I think this whole thing was, I agree, but also I think it was played more as like, what's the meanest fucking, like what, there's so many reasons. Yeah. Like you could find out just from anything, but we're going to make it so you find out Mm -hmm. because you're watching your boyfriend have sex with someone online. I know. Um, So yeah, Megan is killed. Um, we kind of flash back to the sanitarium. Billy kills Santa off screen. Um, there's like a splatter of blood, and that's how we know that Santa's killed. And the next time we see Billy, he's making his way out of the sanitarium in a Santa costume, and Santa uh, is in his sack. Silent Night, Deadly Night. Yes. So, like, homage to that. Um, uh, we discussed all the kills that happened in, like, the background scenes. That's Billy's dad and his stepdad. His dad is killed with a hammer and his stepdad is stabbed with an ornament. And his mother is then strangled with lights, bludgeoned with a rolling pin, and eaten. Uh, fucking disgusting. Dana, who is Lacey, uh, Shabert, um, is now... So, the electricity in the house has gone out. Um, she has decided to go, like, check on the electrical box. She's outside at the time. Um, and she's smoking, and she drops her cigarette in this little hole in the patio where she, like, drops all of her cigarettes, but she hears something down there. Um, so she goes to check it out. Why? I don't know, because I'll tell you what I sure as fuck wouldn't do. I wouldn't be like, hey, it's freezing cold out. It's the middle of the night. I'm gonna go look under our patio right now. No, she went because the power was out. No, she, that's... the fuse box. I thought she was checking because she drops her cigarette and hears something down there. no. I thought it's the because the main fuse box basement. is under the house. Oh, yeah, that's okay. why she goes I got out mixed there. Up. Okay. Yeah, so that and makes so a lot more like, sense. And she's trying to be like proud because yeah. Lee is like being like, "Oh, you like bunch of spoiled little daddy's girl," and she's like, "I know where the box is. It's under the house, and I can do it. I'm not helpless." Yeah. So she goes under um, and is attacked by Agnes. She almost well, she stabs Agnes with a gardening tool bat. Agnes uses the gardening tool right back at her. Um, and she, while she's trying to get away from her, she actually digs up Billy's dad's mm-hmm. body. Um, again, just like, so this, it's like, there's so many little details in this. Like you said, or like that review said, it wears it like a badge of honor. There's so many little things that are just like kind of gross or kind of mean or kind of like just a little extra touch to be like, yeah, this movie is violent and like, we're going to show you. And like, that to me is one of them. Like she didn't have to dig up the skeleton of the dad and no. it's not done. Like she doesn't ever notice. It's not like, no, a it's for moment. us yeah, to see. It's exactly. It's for us to be like, Oh yeah. And there's that other body. <clears throat> um, this is also when we meet Eve and she's on her way out and she just fucking disappears. Yeah. She gifts, um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character, the, um, homage to the original. The she unicorn. gives her the unicorn and they're like, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're so weird. Eve. She's a legacy. Yeah. So and they then, think she's like, this is when it's the red herring that she might be the daughter, but she disappears and like, it's very apparent. Like Billy has probably killed her. Yeah. My guess is because it's outside of the house. It was Billy and not Agnes. Yeah. But it's off screen. She's decapitated. Um, um so at this point, like, they're kind of in full-blown, like, panic mode. 
Um, and they're trying to get out of the house. They've called the police because I think they found a body. Right? So they found Eve's body. Right. That's the first body that they found. Yes. So they find Eve's body. They see her decapitated head. They're like, holy fucking shit. There's a killer here. Um, they go back in the house. Um, they're like, the storm. Cops going to take them two hours to get there. Um, I love, I have a like and a dislike from this situation. So the girls are all going, okay, what do we do? They have Mrs. Mack there to like, you know, be their dead mother and their guidance and their, you know, person who's older and advice. Um, she's like, we got to get out of here. Like we got to leave. Um, Kelly's like, no, we lock ourselves in here. Like he's outside. Mm -hmm. We lock ourselves in the house. We stay together. Like we don't leave. And like, if you didn't know that Agnes was in the house, you'd be like, fuck yeah, you don't try and leave. Like, that's the stupidest thing. Especially when it's, like, Yeah, a it's a blizzard out. Like, the cops can't even get to you. Um, they look and they know the fraternity next door, like, has power, but they're all gone on some ski trip, which they mentioned earlier. Um, but I like it because the girls are like, yeah, okay, these are all the things that we think we need to get done. Um, Lee and... Um, uh, Melissa are both like we're not leaving because we haven't found Claire yet. And Melissa refuses to leave because Lauren is drunk, is passed, drunk out. passed out. Um, and so they're like, no, we're all staying. And Heather is like, well, fuck that. We're gonna go get help. Like yeah. we're getting out of here. And Heather is also that's Mary Elizabeth Winslow's character. She, it's kind of been implied that she is the most distant from the rest of the sisters. Her father is very wealthy. She's she kind comes of like a from, good girl. Yeah, She's she kind comes of from disa- money. Yeah, a little bit disapproving of some of their behavior. Yeah. So her and Mrs. Mack decide to leave. By the way, I forgot to mention, somewhere in between all this, um, Lauren gets super drunk and Billy watches her in the shower, which is also super Through, creepy. like, weird peepholes in the tile on um, the bottom that The things he looks through in this movie, bathroom tiles and literally a um, thumbtack hole yes. that was holding up a poster. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, eh, I don't know, man. Like, the at least the tile thing. I mean... And they shoot it so it looks like he's angled so you can actually see it. But I'm like, I think you'd just see up. And this is like the... Uh, yeah. So there's some goofy it, stuff with There's him. some goofy and then it's like a true blue slasher objectifying women scene where... Oh, yeah. It feels so... It feels gross. Mid-slasher or mid-slasher though. He's spying on her in the shower and it's the only nudity we have in the film. It's not a sex scene. And she's drunk. It's... She's drunk. Um, and she's in there and you can see her breasts and her butt. Yeah. And it's just like, you feel like so gross. Yeah. And like, he also later on will like molest her, molest her while she's asleep. Yeah. Um, Ugh. so Heather and Mrs. Mack decide to leave. Mrs. Mack is trying to get the ice off the windshield. And she, again, like, cause the whole thing is like, we always see Billy's eye. Yeah. So she gets like part of it off and sees his eye and freaks out. And then suddenly blood splatters so all, all over the, the window. window. Yeah. So Mary Elizabeth Winston's character is dead. Others. Mrs. Mack yeah. in a state of shock backs into the garage. This is our accidental death. Backs in the garage, hits it, knocks the bicycle down straight through her fucking face. Yeah. Which, um, when looked up, because a lot of people, I guess, they got asked that all the time, like, oh, how stupid. And they're like, that actually, there's more deaths of icicles oh, falling on lot, people actually, than yeah. sharks. Yeah. Um, it's very common. Yeah. Um, so at this point, too, then. And I think I do enjoy, like, a good, like, accidental kill. Oh, I do, too. No, I like it. Because when you're in a situation of, like, pure mayhem mm-hmm. and you're trying to get away, shit can happen. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, like, a good way to break it up and be like, it doesn't even matter if it's the killer. Just being in this situation has put you at risk. 
So Kelly and Lee run down to see why they haven't left yet because the car is just sitting there. And um, Melissa is kind of like making sure that Lauren's okay, trying kind of also trying to make sure like or try to get her out of the house or like find some some way to help. Um, while this is happening, Melissa is so Melissa's in the bedroom and um, becomes aware that like Agnes, Agnes is, is in the there. house. Um, tries to get out through the window. Tries to get out, which is locked. She puts up a pretty decent fight against Agnes, yeah. but then Agnes, um, in a redirect, she has the unicorn in her hands, but instead she picks up these ice skates and fucking throws them like a boomerang and literally scalps her. Uh-huh. It takes the the top of her head off. Yeah. It's, it's disgusting. It's so gross. Uh, <laughs> Fun fact, um, what Michelle Trackenberg only agreed to be in this film if she died. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder why. I don't know. Uh, the next to go is Lauren, and this is the creepy, like, wait, is it Billy who molests her or Agnes? It's Agnes who molests her. Okay, so Agnes, yeah. like, feels her up. and For, like, too long. Yeah. Like, like well, he feels, she we feels see up it her breasts, and then she does other things, and Lauren wakes up and it's is aware It's a good, of like, happening. 45 seconds, like, on screen of just, like, the covers and you knowing and her being, like... At first, like, oh, like, how nice. And then, like, coming to and realizing, like, what what the fuck is happening to me. Yeah, so she grabs a, a unicorn from her shelf um, and stabs back, but Agnes is not there. And then Agnes uh, th- throws a bag on her head, right? No, she just stabs her with a glass unicorn. Mm-hmm. She puts up a little bit of a fight. Uh, Kyle comes back to the house, and Lee and um, Kelly. Kelly at this point are in the room where Melissa was killed. Lauren is still in the bed, and Kyle comes back in the house. They almost like Lee almost stabs him with a chimney poke, um, and then they realize that Lauren is dead, and her uh, both her eyeballs are ripped yeah. out. And this is one of those scenes you were talking about where. Um, they played the whole music. That's how she knows it's not Kyle. Yeah, like because they're asking, like, how do I know it's not you? And Lee's like, or Kyle's like, how do I know it wasn't you? And then um, Kelly calls the phone, and you can see the light up in the wall from her calling. And you hear the ringtone. And yeah, know it's that Melissa's. In fo- it's Melissa's phone. Yeah. Uh, so this is one of the parts I disagree with. They're like, at this point, there's he's like, okay, we need to get out of here. And at this point, we know he's from the town. He has a working vehicle he can get them out of there but they still refuse to leave and i do think it's one of those moments where you have to go i understand you have someone that you, you love who might be in this house but how much help are you actually going to be you you have real you realize now all these people are, and I, who knows what i would do in this situation yeah i mean you just have to know like okay kyle's here there's three of us like because he even he's like no let's get the fuck yeah. out of here and they're like we, we have to go up to the attic and i can tell you almost with certainty right now i would be like Fuck no. There's no way we're going up to the attic. But Kyle's like, all right, I'll do it. We'll do it. As soon as we see they're not up there or they're dead, we're leaving. They agree to it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I don't, I think I wouldn't be able to leave. I think I would just, knowing that there was three of us and you could grab some I mean, I guess, I, uh, yeah. At this yeah. point, because they only think there's one. They so, only think there's one killer. And, and he has a knife. All the other girls have been picked off while they were alone. And she has a knife, or he has a knife, yeah. and she has the poke. So may- maybe. But Kyle goes up. He gets um, dragged through the um, attic entry with a bag around his head. Uh, the girls make it in just in time to see him stabbed to death as well. 
Um, and then... Um, this is where we have, like, our body reveal. We see that Agnes has set up all yeah, of the girls. just like as, the original. Like, yeah, as sort of these prizes. She's yeah, put, Lee realizes Claire is dead. Yeah, they put the eyeballs on the Christmas tree as ornaments. And Agnes is talking to him, and she's like, family should be here for Christmas. And, and then, you know, um, Kelly's like, Billy's not here. And she's like, daddy's home. Yeah, um, daddy's here. And he reveals himself. And they're a pretty grotesque group, a duo of killers. Yeah. Um, the girls put up a fight. And um, they pretty much just, like there's this kind of like very chaotic site, um, fight up in the attic where the house catches on fire, um, and they are supposedly killed both Agnes and Billy. So yeah, a whole bunch of shit goes down. Dude, it's, it's crazy. There's shit. A lot of stuff in the wall. Lee falls they through the, the ceiling. Yeah, they go through the wall. They drag all these lights down in this carriage. There's a paint thinner. Yeah, there's a bunch of paint thinner. There's they, a fire. So the girls are in the hospital. But, Lee and Kelly. And I will say, like, these girls, Lee, I really enjoy, like, the dynamic between Lee and Kelly. Like, Lee doesn't know any of these people. She barely knows her sister. She used to go to the school. And here she's in in this crazy-ass situation. And her and Kelly are fucking fighters. Yeah. And like, Kel- they really put up a good fight. Kelly is, like, the actual, like, you know... I know it gets portrayed negatively a lot, but she's like that sorority sister who's like, these are my sisters and I'm uh-huh. not leaving them. And Lee is there for her actual sister yeah. that finds camaraderie in Kelly who also refuses to back down. Yeah. Um, I, I do love their dynamic mm-hmm. together. They bounce off each other really well. So they're at the hospital now. Um, and so, again, and this is uh, the, uh, we'll talk about it, but this is the new ending. This was not the original ending. Interesting. So the movie that. originally ended here. Um, you woke up with Kelly in the hospital and her parents are there and she gets a call from Billy, a la the oh, original. okay. And the movie ended. Um, and our friends, the Weinsteins, had a big old problem with that. And so instead, we're getting our big hospital showdown. Right. Which to me, I think is one of the weirdest feelings of the movie. So I love this uh-huh. scene. There's one scene I love, but the, the whole, it's... It's strange that you brought that up because I always thought, like, this feels like it shouldn't be here. Like, mm-hmm. it feels like it's dragging. Because we get the girls in the hospital and then it's the It's more... like the pace sort of starts over. Yeah. We're, like, batshit and then all of a sudden we slow back down again. Yeah, and, like, Kelly's okay and Lee's <coughs> okay and Lee, like, opens their gift from Claire. Like a bonding and, moment. Yeah, and, like, Kelly has to go do a, some more x-rays before the doctor leaves for the night and they're not going to be there that weekend. Um, and then we are like go down to the morgue and we find that Billy and Agnes are still alive somehow. Billy's whole face is burned up. Um, they kill the morgue assistant with a bone saw. And uh, once also, again, oh, go ahead. I was going to say they start traveling through the fucking oh. ceilings. Yes. Obsessed with that. And another thing, another weird fucking way to just be mean for no reason is the phone conversation the morgue assistant's having is about how his kids are complaining like his wife or whoever's on the other line is saying like, oh, you need, and he's like, I know what day it is. I know it's Christmas. I have to work. Tell the kids they have to wait. Yeah. He's like, it's my fucking job. You think yeah. I want to be here? And like, and then he pours himself some alcohol and you're just like, shit. Like even like these minor conversations have to be vile. Yeah. 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 Everyone's, uh, other than like our final girl, other than the girls in general, the girls are crass, but they're not. I don't think they're mean. Like, I think they're just yeah. blunt. Um, yeah. They're so, just, anyways, Agnes, yeah. they they kill Lee. Um, 
Agnes snaps her neck, and then Kelly yeah. comes back to the room and realizes what's happening. It was showed, like, very, like, a couple minutes earlier that the door gets jammed, and, like, they were supposed to fix it, but they didn't, so she's trying to get out. She hits the emergency button. No one notices because there's Christmas tailors in the hospital. Agnes lowers herself from the ceiling. I love this scene because she just fucking defibrillates the fuck out of her, um, like, fries her face with a defibrillator, which at this point I'm, like, super ready for Agnes to be dead, so I love that scene. Billy also lowers himself. Kelly manages to get out of the room. I love this, too, because always in movies, like, horror movies when they're in a hospital i'm always like where the fuck is everybody they're in a hospital like there's never like a hospital i've never been to a hospital ever where i'm like hello like just no one in well i will say i went to an ultrasound appointment um and ben and i thought we were going to get murdered we walked in and it was a late appointment it was at 8 30 and it wasn't at the hospital but it was at like a huge kaiser like doctor's office That basically looks just like a hospital. Kaiser is like labyrinthian. And we walked in and it was abandoned. There was like lights on at all of the stations, but no employees. No, I do. I I have had that experience with Kaiser Oh my God. You're just like, what the hell? But I feel like the unit they're in specifically would never be like that. And like we know like... What this is what I like though is she comes out, you see people in the yeah. hall, but somehow like this chase happens. But like yeah. you do see people in the hall. I mean, she literally runs into a nurse um, who is like has a cart. But basically, she manages to shake Billy off, throws him off the balcony. This is one of my favorite scenes in the movie, even though I don't love like this whole um, like end blog. Uh, but I, I like I love the scene of him falling on the Christmas tree looking up at her and the lights are flashing from red to green and you see him like mm-hmm. see impaled on yeah. the body so that i, I really it's enjoy that great. and any i i will say like whoever did the lighting on this i love all of the red greens and yellows that are heavily the cinematographer used. yeah he yeah. talks about that it's fantastic intentionally trying to get that um really dark red feel yeah i really i i think it does a lot with like they I, actually use the lights in the house um, you know how they have like the weird green, red flashing lights yeah. in the hallway? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They do that so that they can hide the decay from the past scenes because the house is really run oh. down. And so they cover the run down stuff with Christmas decorations. Smart. It's that crazy smart? how smart like some of these guys are. I know. Just like the more you find out, like, that's why I love like finding like, out stuff, stuff like that because you're like, oh, yeah. So instead of having to shoot them completely separately. They could shoot um, at the same time. Um, makes sense. So Kelly is our final girl, and Agnes and um, you know Billy are our killers. Uh, Billy and Agnes make sense enough. They're disgusting. Um, I think that yeah. So their backstory, I mean, makes sense. Their will to kill. I mean, obviously, like s- severe trauma coming back to their home and having people there and like being confused by that, being angry about that, um, and just literally, it's their drive to just. There's kill so many all like little things that make it gross, like the incest angle, the fact that Billy's yellow, like so mm-hmm. many like little things that they like they added in to be like really for me. Like, really dries up the level of them being just vile people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you definitely, like, don't have any... Si- like, oh, you none. Think, no, no, no. <laughs> you know, at first you think, oh, yeah, I'm really going to have a lot of sympathy for Billy because he's treated so terribly, but you don't. Mm-mm. No, they force that right out yeah, of Yeah, like, any, there's no sympathy to this killer, which I think in this type of movie you don't want to have sympathy. No. Uh, it's not a killer. It's like, you don't, you don't root for Michael. 
No, no, no. You and root for Jason. You root for Jason, but you don't ever root for Michael. And mm-hmm. because Halloween, it's I mean, was inspired by Black Christmas, so it makes sense. But um, yeah, it's a mean film. Mm-hmm. It's it's really just about a crazy person. On the other hand, I love Kelly. I think she's yeah. A great Kelly's final a girl. great final girl for various reasons because she is um, resilient, both like emotionally and physically. Um, I think just as a character herself, it'd be really fun to see her in like other like arches. Yep. Um, because you know her sense of loyalty um, to her sisters and sort of how she's like, well, like you know, I love you. You're my boyfriend, Kyle. Like I, we're gonna spend time together, but I also have to make time for them. Mm. She's a good person. Yeah. And so you like her, and she's not helpless. Yep. And that's okay. You and can she be, is portrayed as like a little more meek and a little more like quiet than the other girls. Yeah, she and just like come on, guys, let's just get together. Like let's just get along. Like come on, come down for Christmas. Like they make a lot of ploys at like oh Kelly, like you know you got to be more aggressive than that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a whole scene where yeah, they, they force um, her to be more aggressive. And yeah. so I think um, that's a nice comparison to when she does kind of have to you know, rise up. She's been disappointed for, you know, good reason or not from her boyfriend. She's watching, you know, her friends get killed off. Um, so, yeah, I think she makes a great final girl. What's your favorite kill? Um, I think my final kill, um, it's either going to have to be Billy because I just think visually that's a great kill and yeah. it's, like, super satisfying. Um but I also um, really like Constance's kill. Constance. The mom. Ah. Yeah. Gross. So Definitely. I like that mm. she's strangled. I just like the theme to it. I, I mean, love the theme. Really yeah, themed. they're all really themed. I but love like, the strangled the whole, of the lights. Like, the bludgeoned the, the same way that his dad was bludgeoned with the yeah. hammer. I don't enjoy the cookie cutter skin stuff. Ugh. Ugh. Um I agree that shot of him, like, dragging her with the Christmas lights is effective. Yeah. Like, it's very And well done. then when you don't see him bludgeoning her, you just see him coming up and down behind the kitchen yeah. island. Um, gross. <laughs> it's a I great guess, kill. Gross. It is a great kill. I think I have to go, I love the Billy one, especially because it gives us that shot. And again, it is satisfying. I also love Melissa's because it's, like, very <laughs> ferocious. Um, I'm gonna go Melissa. I just the ice skates to the back of the head gets me every time. Like it just is so brutal. Um, and the scalp like it, it's not just that she got ice skated in the back of the head. It's that it fucking scalps her. So yeah, I'm gonna go with Melissa. Uh, it was definitely part of you know B and I talk about it a lot, and so do horror fans, the slash fans, the Millennium like mean remake streak. Um, lots of these movies, My Bloody Valentine's, Sorority Row. Um, even the Halloween remakes, like of that era, kind of took a movie that was, um, you know, a classic or um, a big hit in the '80s and redid it with kind of like that mid aughts, late aughts mean streak. Um, did not do well. It's kind of one of those films I think that, like, in the next couple of years, you'll see a lot of people championing it. Um, it's already got that kind of groundswell going. Um, even though for years and years and years, I've just like seen people pretty much talk about how terrible it is. So we are at the end of the episode, which every episode we do, uh, decide where it ranks on our list. And well, and I do just want to say, like, I don't want to like smooth over the whole Weinstein involvement. And I just want to like give a little bit background to why Glenn Morgan was like so upset with this. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So I guess it really just all of the meanness and all of the gore is like all studio interference from the those two. Um, from both Bob and Harvey. Um, they saw the cut and said it wasn't gory enough and said make it gorier. Um, and I think that's always interesting to note is that you know, we talk about directors, we talk about writers, and then they kind of take all of the hit for everything or, you know, the actors. And then we're not really, you know, paying into like studio interference or the producers who have a huge say in it because they're the ones paying for it. Um, But I mean, I think there's a lot, I think this movie is so in its vein. And I think maybe which Ryan and I talk about a lot, is that because this is sort of what we, not even what we grew up with, but like our big exposure to horror, the Mm -hmm. horror that we could consume, the horror that was for our generation is this. Um, The fact that it's like, you know, torture porn-esque and really violent, um, we can't help that. And so I think we're going to be a little bit more desensitized than other people who maybe grew up even with oh, 90s absolutely. horror yeah. stuff. Like so if for you us, grew up and saw the original Black Christmas well, and yeah. then saw this, like, you'd, be you'd like, probably be like, well, oh, yeah, just, you know. Yeah, like my mom loves horror in this movie. She'd be like, that crosses the line. That is not oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I am not interested in any of that. Um, and so I, it's always curious to see like, filmmakers like Glenn Morgan who really wanted to just do like a different telling and a less gory end up making an aughts film when maybe he didn't actually want to um and you know if you if you look into it and it is tricky um like obviously we can't go back and take away these films from these people and we don't ever want to like champion movies that you know women maybe um, were abused or exploited because of the film. Luckily, it doesn't really seem like um, they were on set too much. It was more um, them getting involved. But I thought this was really interesting. And you can, I'm not going to read like all of the stuff I read because there's some like pretty like straight comments that actually came from Bob about like how Michelle Truckenberg needed to be dragged um, like that's how he needed to see the movie. And when you know in context, like what was happening behind the scenes, that's like really hard to hear. Um, but I will find it, I find it super interesting. So I guess if you go to the trailer and I'll post it, there are scenes in the trailer that don't exist in the film and oh, never existed in the film and were purposely shot later on without Glenn Morgan knowing just to advertise the film. What the what? So it's like serious false advertising. So after the production concluded, Bob and Harvey Weinstein oversaw the shooting of additional footage in LA intended only for promotional materials. According to Morgan, he was contacted by the Weinsteins who wanted to pick up some shots for TV spots, which he agreed to. Among the footage was Lacey being dragged through the snow, footage of a woman falling from the roof, an electric lawnmower, an unidentified woman who they cast just for the, just for this promo materials of, um, like a woman floating beneath a frozen lake. What the hell? Michelle Trackenberg aiming a shotgun and saying "Merry Christmas, motherfucker." What the what? So all this stuff, which is so funny because it's like if you wanted that in the movie, like 
No wonder the movie didn't do very good. You were like showing things that didn't even exist in it. So I always think studio interference, whether it's negatively because of the Weinsteins or whatever, um, even if this was Joe Blow, like it's still so fascinating to see how much effect that producers and EPs have over films. And the ending to this movie is completely different. Of the Who knows, the eye obsession could be just a thing that the producers were like, yeah, we like eyes. Gonna have a lot of eyes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, I mean, like you, you don't know. No, you listen to that Kevin Smith story about the guy that was making Superman, and he's like, "Here's the thing: can't fly, no costume. Third act has to have a giant spider in it." And he was like, "What?" <laughs> and then he made Wild Wild West, which had a giant spider in the third act. Oh, so yeah. yeah, there's weird shit that producers do. Um, it's also like it's always icky to me, and it's like it's something that it's really hard and like it's it's very hard and tricky because like you look at a movie like this and you have to wonder like we did with the burning like how much of because we know what we know now of like this really gross kind of like sexual misconduct Mm -hmm. stuff was told to be put in there because of like oh we need more nudity or we need more like we need more from the girls yeah or because like molestation or rape is something that they think is um entertainment yeah you know so I I just never want to gloss over that because not that it's the main focus of the film. We can't discredit this film and take it back. Um, We can't look back on it. Um, It's different from a situation. Um, I'll make the distinction. I mean, we're all going to make our own distinctions in these situations from a film where, you know, a person was like physically um, or mentally abused on the film, um, you know, and then you try and go back and say, oh, it's fine. Um, this is just maybe some decisions that were made creatively that we can go back and go, ooh, that has an icky feel to it now. Yeah. Um, so. And also I just gen- I like really dislike when you tell someone like this is your movie and then you go over them and behind their back and yeah. like shit that they never wanted. Yeah, there's some like just stuff that I'm not super comfortable with as like a film fan or a, like someone who hopes to make film one day. Um, so yeah, we will rank it now. It's keepscreaming.com slash the dash list. If you tuned in last week, you know that Black Christmas is our new number two, My Bloody Valentine from 81. Reigns at number one for many, many weeks. Um, 2018's Halloween is number three. And then we are up to 20, this will be our 28th movie. So 27 is April Fool's Day, 26 Girls Night Out. Um... Do you, mm. have a, do you have like a God, I don't a know. Range? So you know what's funny is I've always liked this movie and I've always yeah. said I like this movie and I always tell people like, oh, I have a lot of fun with Black Ass Miss. It gets shit on a lot. But like after dissecting it, there are parts of it that are maybe I don't like as much as yeah. I normally think I like. Like there's some icky stuff in here mm-hmm. that kind of sinks it for me. Like, and it's not just because it's gross because – like something sometimes that's a part of horror that's necessary yeah um i think like the things that happen to ricky's family and silent night deadly night are awful but they're necessary yeah and like they're they're mean and they're mean but they're not exploitative they're not exploitative and like there's there are all there is a line like i don't mind mean-spirited horror sometimes i think it's done like in a way my bloody valentine 3d is hella mean yeah and i think I think sometimes it's done in a way, and a lot of this is done in a way of, like, this is people. Mm-hmm. Like, not everyone's your idealistic, like, perfect person. Part not of the everybody's I love a Kelly. my bloody Valentine because, like, 
they're having affairs and like you know like yeah. this and this and this and like you well, that's everybody. how real people act yeah. but some of this does feel like gross um yeah. and exploitative like yeah the, like unnecessary yeah like yeah. i think the rape of billy is unnecessary yeah. i think that could have been done just as effectively with the mom having sex with the stepdad yeah i think him looking at kelly or um lauren in the shower is gross yeah. um like we already know he's a creep we don't yeah. need that we don't scene. need that scene um yeah. which kind of sinks it for me a little bit yeah and it's funny because i haven't seen the movie in a while like a long while um because i always just watch the original and i finished it yesterday or the day before and i text ryan i'm like it's really good like it's way better than i remember it aged better and it's true i do still think it's a good movie and i think it's a good slasher but I think it's bogged down by these like poor decisions that were unnecessary and ended up being a little bit, I mean, Ryan and I use the word icky because I mean, that's what it is. Um, and so I think that really does like push it down to more of like a B level movie, even though it, it works as a slasher. It works as a slasher, but then it works against itself yeah. as a slasher. There's so much it does right. The score yeah. is great. Um, I think the girls are likable. I think yeah, Kelly is fantastic. We've got a great final girl. I think um, the kills are really fun. Kills are fun. They're themed. Um, um, I d- like the killers are. It's interesting because like with horror, a lot of time you end up like falling in love with your killers. Like we love Michael and Jason and Ghostface, and like even to explore outside Victor of slashers. Yeah, yeah, you love Sam and you love the predator like you love these characters you don't love these characters at all um and i don't even think there's like a weird sort of charm to them like silent night deadly night or like victor crowley at all no so because of that i'm kind of looking at like 13 14 yeah i think it belongs more sort of in the middle range because um you know analyzing it as a slasher and what it does right we can't discredit what it does wrong Mm -hmm. and um like i love using the tropes of the family coming back home and i have no problem with the backstory um the issues are um like unnecessary plot points unnecessary things in the backstory and in the um you know in the dialogue that just um you know take away from what it's supposed to be it just like gets a little convoluted to being like how mean can we be right for no reason absolutely um, because of that, I'm kind of, so I don't think it's better than Silent Night, Deadly Night. No. Because uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night, um, lacks in some of the slasher areas. But the killer, um, the but, motive. But the like, motive and the actual kills themselves, like, really elevate that film. Mm-hmm. Um, I think 13 would be a good place for it. I do too. I think it is better than my Super Psycho Suite 16. I think it has a more, like, the cast is better all around. I think the production in general is just better. Um, I think, you know, like, the score is super effective. Um, I think our final girl is incredibly strong and bold. And not just that, we kind of have two final girls. Mm-hmm. I think Lee is a really likable yeah. character as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the kills are great. Um, so I, I think 13 is where it should land. Yeah. So you good with that? Yeah, I'm good with that. Cool. So it is our new number 13. Um, so uh, below Silent Night, Deadly Night, pushing my Super Psycho Sweet 16 down to 14. Um, so that is where it ends up on our list. Um, again, you can always check that out at, at keepscreaming.com slash the dash, dash list. Uh, and let us know what you think. I always love hearing your guys' opinions on things. I'm sure um, if people will look at this and be like, how the fuck is Black Xmas above Child's Play? But you can go back and listen to our Child's Play episode to figure yeah. that out. Um, and we will, you know, tackle Child's Play 2 and 3 one day. So um, We do have a movie prepped for New Year's. We mm-hmm. will be watching New Year's Evil. And it might, it's, we might put it out early. 
Um, Ooh, we, I mean, if we put it out on time, it will be... Oh, we should do it for New Year's Day. Yeah, so we're probably going to put it out on the 31st. Um, so we'll actually have two episodes. Um, yeah. Because otherwise it'll come out the 7th. Yeah, so we're um, going to do that. And I think we're going to try to fit in a bonus episode with our producer, Brennan, um, and talk like we did last year about our top of the year. Um, so we might push that to January. Yeah. Because B hasn't watched anything. So, I started watching Buffy, guys. Oh, God. I saw that. Um, so that'll <laughs> probably be January. But that yeah. will be coming yeah. um, because we definitely want to do that. Brennan's really excited about it. Yeah. Um, like talk about something besides slashers, but horror. Yeah. Do a bonus episode. But yeah. So, yeah. We'll, we will do – we'll drop this – we're going to drop New this, Year's Evil early because we yeah. want you to have it in time for New Year's Eve. So it will literally drop on New Year's Eve. And, guys, that movie is so good. If you oh, haven't yeah, watched it, movie. so excited. I watched it for the first time last year. So this episode comes out Christmas Eve. So Merry Christmas, everybody. Um, enjoy time um, with whoever you're spending it with, friends, yes. family, yeah. your, even if it's yourself watching some good old movies. Um, just have a great holiday. Yeah, have a great holiday. Have a safe New Year. Um Christmas Evil is on Shudder, and if you haven't seen that movie yet, it is fucking bonkers, and you should 100% see it because it's fantastic. Um, and like B said, well, we, we'll tweet out that New Year's Evil because you won't have time to hear it because we're going to drop it on the same day. So, um, And then we'll come up with our January stuff. So we'll see you guys in close to the new year. All right. Until then, keep screaming. <laughs>